If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be a world-spanning triumph, and here is why. In this episode, we find some answers to how do we determine what path to take when planning some epic travel. And what do we focus on during the travel to make it work? And what does it look like to put these ideas into action with some incredible examples? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. So if you haven't started to gather that we've got a bit of a theme going from some of our last episodes, you know, we started with pacing and then we got into adding ticking clocks. Now, all of this is starting to build. We're talking about travel adventures today. So you and I want to run some epic travel stories. I know it's in you. When you start thinking about that globe trotting on a grand scale, like we're going to climb the mountains that go through the peak and into the stratosphere where the dragons that don't even need to breathe air are. And then we're going to go down to the bottoms of the oceans where that same dragon might show up again because he can take a lot of pressure on the old scales. And we're going to go across the lands into the areas that nobody's ever even heard of. Okay, take Jesus, take it down a notch. <laughs> No, we're going to meet the gods themselves in the heavens. That's quite a travel adventure. Yeah. Okay, uh, I I wasn't thinking so big. I was thinking maybe like I want to tell a rich and interesting story within like a grim and grimy city. You know, it's tough city and people get stabbed every day here. They just get shanked for a loaf of bread and we're trying to get, you know, like Warriors style, like the 80s movie, The Warriors. We're trying to get from just point A to point B. And God, I hope we survive. Great travel story, too. Huh. So we are talking about the same thing. We're talking about travel <laughs> adventures. Absolutely. And do you think that the points that we're going to bring up in this episode apply to both? I sure hope so. <laughs> Otherwise, we might have screwed up. Duds. Well, yeah. I think this really does, because all it is is building a story that involves travel. And I think the real tricky bit here is the intent piece, is that we want to highlight the good and avoiding the dangers of travel stories. And this is a common thread that we see online where people go, hey, how do I run travel adventures? What what goes into it? Well, the answer is usually you need some random encounters. How about a how about an encounter table? Everyone needs an encounter table for running a travel adventure. That is a way to make things happen. <laughs> but I've never really watched a movie whose premise was things happen. <laughs> Watch this stuff happen. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't have an impact on a grander scale. And George, the only reason that you and I can probably make fun of this is because we attempted it at one point. Oh, I've done it like 80,000 times. <laughs> and I think you and I both had that initial experience with D&D &D that like our excitement for this new and fun game 
definitely overshadowed the fact that we just had random shit happen for like two months. Yeah. It was just a, a grab bag of weird shit that really didn't relate to our characters or the story or, you know, it just kind of said, life is chaos. <laughs> Good lesson. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you end up with those meandering stories that uh, just kind of fizzle eventually i mean they can be fun for a while but unless you're doing it with intent they peter out they get downright sluggish like ass dragging sluggish and of course on the other side of that coin is where the game is 100 percent character centric and nothing outside of what deeply matters to the characters happens it can start to feel a bit like the truman show where it's creepily centered around the characters <laughs> like a daytime soap opera or something like the only things that happen in the world affect the characters themselves yeah and we want to be story focused on this podcast and we definitely like that kind of game but there is even a limit to it you don't want your town to feel like every single person in it is the npc that is going to give the quest like they're all just existing there with the sole purpose <laughs> of handing out Hello, I need your help, please. Yes. I am a bread maker and they have stolen my... All right. Yeah, I, I get it. You got problems that nobody else can solve. <laughs> like you said, Travis, we did a pacing episode recently. And that's another issue that comes up all the time in travel is the game falls flat because you think that you've got to play out travel for six sessions. And the pacing is just like, it's flat. I do recall having that exact thought. Okay, I want to get my players... From this city to this city. Okay, let's measure that time. The average pace of a horse per day is 37 kilometers times uh, the, the number of kilometers between the city. So if I don't spend a ridiculous amount of time making the players feel like it's costly and time effect and and it affects their timeline to travel from point A to point B, if I don't give them that sense of, oh, Jesus, it's difficult to get around in this world, then they'll take that for granted. And it'll just be like, <laughs> oh, whatever, we can just go to this city. And if I want them to feel that, I have to spend three encounters a day in travel. And they're just going to grind their way through it. And that's how I'll make them feel like travel matters. Right. It comes from that desire to make the world feel dangerous and to make their time on the road feel accurate. And I think we have to respect that feeling. We get where that's coming from. But I think you and I, over time, have finally... <laughs> I mean, sometimes it takes us a ridiculously long time to learn our lessons, but we've finally kind of figured out a nice middle ground. Yeah. And when you think about these adventures more objectively you realize kind of how ridiculous you may have been <laughs> and i say you but i mean me like there's no adventure like walking for days on end right uh, if you had to play that out that would be just the weirdest adventure ever you don't need tons of campfire scenes we can only talk about how the players get set up and spend 10 minutes discussing their watch order so many times <laughs> yeah and then you get into the whole like okay so Who's going to take first watch? Well, the elf only meditates and is kind of aware, so we'll put them, and they can take the first watch, and then Barbarian takes the... And what is that leading up to? As the DM, you're starting to feel this pressure to make something bad happen because they spent the time planning for something bad to happen. 
but then are you punishing them or are you rewarding them? The players spent a solid 20 minutes of their evening of <laughs> role-playing just figuring out how camp was going to work and making dinners and doing all of these things, setting traps, setting circles, setting alarms. Well, we better have an attack for all of this setup. Exactly. And then you roll a random encounter table to find out that an owl bear attacks camp and... Uh, all right, I guess uh, we got some owlbear claws. What was the point of that? <laughs> Is that going to happen every night now? But of course, no, we don't want to cross a continent in 30 seconds. So we got to do something to spend that time on the road. So it really comes down to trying to hit a nice middle ground. Movies like Indiana Jones take place across continents. And you know that scene where Indy boards the plane and then all of a sudden the little red line starts moving across the world and then it sets down in some far-off destination. He just keeps jet-setting around. Should the DM have included a scene where Indy's got to get through customs? He's, he's got a problem to solve there. <laughs> Sir, your passport is two months out of date. You need to go back. The passport office is over here. Should he have uh, gotten hungry and had to figure out what to order from the in-flight menu? <laughs> Did they have in-flight menus during the... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they had in-flight hijackers when the, the two dudes jumped out and left them with no parachute. Maybe he should have had to solve the problem of how to use the bathroom because the line <laughs> is never dwindling. Or the other passengers' reactions to this dude walking in with a gun and a whip. Yeah, we never tackled that. <laughs> Should we have? Probably. <laughs> Let's go to the strategy stateroom to figure out how we do travel better. This is the strategy stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. So when you are thinking about how to structure your travel adventure, there's just a few steps we're going to go through in this strategy stateroom. The first one is to determine your adventure's goal. And that's actually really important to determine how you're going to run the adventure. Second, you're going to focus your conflict. And third, you're going to define your scale. So that doesn't make a ton of sense off the hop, but let's dive into each one of those steps to figure out how we get more out of travel. So starting with determining your adventure goal. What is your adventure goal? Well, I think there's two very distinct types that are going to majorly influence how you plan your travel adventure. So the question you gotta ask is, is getting somewhere the goal or does getting somewhere start the goal? That's a real philosophical <laughs> head scratcher. <laughs> it might seem like it. But it's simpler than uh, all of our words make it seem. <laughs> you wordy assholes. <laughs> so type one is getting somewhere being the goal. So this is usually get the MacGuffin or the item that the players have from A to B. And that second type is to get the MacGuffin that's located at B. The key to thinking about this is getting to B is the problem. And the problem that they're solving is completely solved once they reach B. Well, the classic example of this is Lord of the Rings. Right. As soon as they get the ring to Mount Doom and they toss it in, the story is over. That is the objective. 
The climax has been reached. All they got to do now is go home and hug for a very long time. (laughs) But there's other examples of this. You've got stories like The Revenant, where Leonardo DiCaprio is nearly gutted by a bear and he has to get to the fort in order to survive. The entirety of the story was the story of him getting from point A to that B. Or you've got Mad Max, amazing travel adventure, where getting to the green place was the goal. And what I loved about that was that it was such a flimsy goal. It was like, uh, I don't don't know where it is. We're just going (laughs) to go and find it. And then the really cool thing was that it turned back on itself and said, no, now the goal is to get back to where we came from. Like, they did it twice. Yeah, they mixed it around a bit. But at its core, it was pretty dang simple. And there's even more kind of like introspective, character-focused travel adventures like one of my favorites, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, where he's globetrotting oh. in that one. But finding the photographer was the goal. And once he reached it, he was done his adventure. And we've used the MacGuffin in this example very particularly because often it's the getting to be that solves the whole thing. The MacGuffin didn't really matter. It was the journey that mattered. Yeah. And then the second type of adventure we're talking about is where they get the MacGuffin that's located at B. Once they get there, they begin to solve the problem. But the travel part didn't really matter. Well, to borrow the previous example, Indiana Jones is a classic example of this. Indy's goal is to get the idol here, and then to go over here to get the Ark of the Covenant, and then to go over here to get the cup of christ like it's just it's all about getting to that other place which is why maybe they skip over some of the travel the adventure starts once he arrives right it's a series of basically dungeon crawls that are just connected by some quick travel shots it's a travel adventure but a very different type than those earlier examples and another example of this would be the mission impossible movies typically i mean if we consider say the last one I don't know. They, they're they all kind of blurring together oh, yeah. for me. I can't tell the difference. But it's all about once you get there, some action and some conflict happen. It's not about the person trying to and the arduous journey of trying to get from point A to point B. As soon as they reach B, as soon as they get to the place, now the shit is going down. They got to defuse the bomb. They got to do this. They got to do that. Sneak into the place, hold perfectly still, get past the laser beams. <laughs> Do something insane. Yeah. So really what this comes down to is if you are planning an adventure, you really have to just sit down and assess, is my story something that kicks off when the players arrive at their destination or is it all about getting there? Yeah. So step two, focus your conflict. So with that second type of adventure, the one where you're just getting from place to place, You can use kind of the montage technique that we've talked about. It's where you're quickly describing what's happening along the way. You're giving some moments to shine, that kind of thing. We covered it in a lot of detail in our episode, Unlock Story Pacing. But with that first type, where you're really focusing on what happens during the travel, you're going to want to figure out what your main conflict is going to be there and what's going to change by the time the party gets to their destination. Well, I think this really does lend itself nicely to the type of story that you're talking about, where you really do want to spend a lot of time exploring travel. 
What does that look like? That being said, I think you kind of have to know your conflict regardless, whether you're going to do a montage that matters or you're going to draw it out into their own individual encounters. But there's no point in doing an encounter unless you understand where the conflict is and what's going to drive your characters to care about an encounter that you've thrown in their way as a part of their travel. This is going to help so much getting around the issues of random encounters. Yeah. And literally anything can be conflict, but there's a few main ones that we think work really well for this kind of storytelling. And those are the conflict between the heroes and the environment, the heroes and a pursuer or antagonist, and between the heroes and themselves. So a lot of stories tend to focus on one or two of these. And when you're deciding which one of these to really focus your adventure on, you're going to want to think about the players that you've got at your table and the kind of characters that they've created and what they seem to care about. So if you're going to focus on that environmental conflict, you've probably got players that are really interested in the dangerous aspects of going through a fantasy world. That's really fun for them. You got some tough-ass survivalists. Yeah. If you're going to focus on that pursuer conflict or antagonistic conflict, you've got players and characters that want to conquer evil. They want to fight some big bad. Yeah. And finally, that character versus themselves, where you're going to see some personal growth from those characters, are for the players that have built super fleshed out, deeper characters that they want to do that with. With real flaws that you can manipulate and you can explore with them. And that's where you start to throw in moral quandaries and all kinds of things that really kind of challenge that approach to gaming. But you're going to have a really tough time trying to focus on that conflict with players that have just created like the standard super powerful fantasy heroes, which is nothing wrong with. It just means they might want to play a different kind of game. Yeah, you're going to focus on the pursuer or the antagonist with those. For those that have deep and rich character flaws, you might want to do a mix of maybe the character versus themselves and the environment. Like you can focus on which of these one or maybe two you want to try to achieve. But trying to do three or even other ones might start to muddy the water. So yeah. it's better to focus your attention on one or two. And to give you an idea of what we're really talking about, we got to use some movie examples because we love movie examples. <laughs> <laughs> For no reason other than we like movies. No, I think they do provide uh, a salient point of this is why some of these stories are so good. Like, for instance, The Revenant. That one's pretty straightforward. The conflict there that they're focusing on is the hero versus the environment. I mean, he's facing the dangers of nature every step along the way of his journey and it's nearly bringing him down at every turn yeah it's the will to carry on it's the grit and the determination to not die from your horrible gut wounds my <laughs> god that movie was rough that was tough to watch no thanks you've got uh, stories like mad max It'd be easy to think this was hero versus environment because it was a dangerous world, but it was really about the fact that they were being chased way more than the fact that the world was dangerous. 100%. And that Immortan Joe that is just hounding them with his men at every step. Yeah, that was just a nonstop onslaught. And it was all driven by one hideous dude. <laughs> every encounter that was interesting to watch on screen was a conflict between the antagonist 
and Mad Max and his pals. Yeah. I should say Furiosa and her pals. She was the hero of that movie. Oh, she really was. She carried that thing. Going back to the secret life of Walter Mitty, that's an example of the conflict of hero versus themselves and their flaws. That was such an expert class in storytelling because what I loved about the way that they approached that was that Walter wasn't a bad person. You know, we we used the previous example of like characters with flaws, but these are really just characters that have something to get over, something to move past. And in Walter Mitty, he just really had a fear of life. He was a nice man. He did good things for people. Like ultimately, at the beginning of the story, he could have just said like, "Hey, I'm I'm a good person, so we're going to wrap this story up." <laughs> But he needed to learn to be more bold and more adventurous. It seems so cliche and like you wouldn't want to tackle it in a D&D game because it's too simple. But that movie proves that it can make very compelling stories. And that way, if I'm DMing a Secret Life of Walter Mitty style adventure, I'm going to throw conflict in the way that really just forces my players should i jump off this boat my god this is taking so much and we know that every single time the players choose to have their characters laugh in the face of the conflict that we throw in front of them that they're growing as characters yeah and finally we come back to the classic lord of the rings where they've got that simple goal of getting to the volcano with the ring the conflict in this one i mean it was a big story It's a very complex story. This one you could argue is all three of them. The hero versus the environment of the dangerous Middle Earth versus themselves. I mean, you got those hobbits that are overcoming the fact that they've never left the Shire. And trying to learn to trust a horrible, decrepit, ugly golem (laughs) character that's trying to backstab them. I thought you were going to start talking about Gandalf for some weird reason. (laughs) I was like, that's rude. Gandalf's not... (laughs) And then you've got the antagonist. Nobody forgets about the antagonist of that movie. Hell no, that giant eye that's constantly looking for him. Yeah, being a creep. Or the ring wraiths, or the treacherous. <laughs> like, who needs enemies when you've got friends like Boromir? There you go, yeah. <laughs> Although this kind of goes counter to our point of maybe select one or two. It does, but keep in mind that that's one of the most legendary fantasy stories ever told and that it took a very long time to tell it by a very good, 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 good storyteller. Nine hours, approximately. <laughs> so so if you're going to compare yourself to the likes of J.R.R. <laughs> Fair enough. So Maybe m- just focus on one. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, just to reiterate, identifying where to focus is really helpful and it will help for all of the encounters that you put in front of your players, knowing exactly what you should tie in there. You know, if my players have created rich flaws, focus on character conflict, maybe throw in a dash of environment. If my players have made epic heroes, then let's do a deadly pursuer and some environmental conflict. But if my players are excited about a world of danger and possibility, I'll focus on environmental challenges with a little bit of maybe some pursuers in there. You can really mix and match, and like, even in the case of say an avalanche. We have our players crossing a wintry peak and here comes an avalanche. Are we going to focus on the avalanche and the excitement of trying to survive that onslaught? Or are we going to say, hey, you were covered by an avalanche and now you have to find your friends 
despite the fact that you're nearly freezing to death and you're digging around and each one of you is trying to find the other and you're hopelessly lost and separated, that's going to be more interesting to players that have some personal flaws. That's a very good point because you can put any of these lenses on an avalanche. I mean, if you've introduced a ticking clock of a big bad chasing you guys, then the avalanche is slowing you down and the fear and the tension is going to come from that antagonist getting closer, not from the avalanche itself. Yeah, totally. All right, moving on. Part three, define your scale. This is going to be totally to your taste, but we're just saying, think about it. A travel adventure can be tiny or massive or anywhere in between. Maybe this adventure is going to take place between two locations that aren't very far apart, but we'd still all like to spend some time on that travel. So let's build a little adventure around the trip. Maybe it just takes a session or two to resolve. Maybe the characters will learn something along the way. <laughs> well, to your point, if you want to go the opposite direction and you're a bit of a world builder as a DM and you love fleshing out and creating these rich and deep areas that tell a little bit about the world history and why we're here and it helps ground all of the players in this lore that you've crafted, then maybe you want to spend a little bit more time and create a campaign where you can introduce some side quests that dive real deep and the characters have transformed over this really epic journey. And the structure of that really isn't that much more complicated because all you're doing is having one adventure that you keep inserting smaller ones into. Yeah. No matter what you do with this, you're absolutely going to want to insert that ticking clock, as we discussed in our last episode. And you're going to want to throw some stakes in there. Stakes that motivate the players. And weirdly enough, you can still use our one-page story planner on our resources page to flesh out your story. As a bit of a recap, how the story planner works is you've got three NPCs, and they're going to set up your story then you have a travel section, which is more or less what's a trap, what's an obstacle. And then you wrap it all up at the very bottom with your big bad. And you can use this on a micro or macro scale to help you plan your adventure. You might use a few of them if you're planning a big adventure, or you can use one if you're just doing one session from A to B. Totally. So a quick recap, determine your adventure goal. Focus your conflict and define your scale and you'll have some wicked fun doing travel. And if you're asking why we haven't gotten into any of the nitty gritty details of travel encounters, don't worry, we're going to do that in the very next episode. But before we do that, I think we should probably stop by the Griffin Street Market on the way to Kinship Camp. Must have provisions and supplies can be found for the right price at the Griffin Street Market. Hey there, you know what's mega dangerous? Yes, I do. This talisman of ultimate evil. It's worse than anything else in this market. And we could sell it to you. We have one. But it's probably just going to kill you when you touch it. <laughs> it does a lot of damage if you even touch it. Don't even look at it. No, cover it up. <laughs> this is not a good sales pitch. But it is good for opening fissures in the ground. Maybe if you want to throw some shit away into the pit. <laughs> yeah... Also, if you were to own the Talisman of Ultimate Evil, you'd get a lot of looks from disapproving grandparents that's really hard to shake around the holidays. And if you're into fashion, it's probably not going to go with a lot of your outfits. Unless 
all you wear is black. Yeah, you're into that dark stuff. But you know what's good and not at all evil and matches your outfit? Describe. They've got over 1,400 box texts for you to read, no matter what is going on in your homebrew fantasy worlds. And they're making a dozen new ones every single Earth Day. Are you struggling to sell the awesomeness of that sword? They have box text for that. Are you trying to sell how terrifying the monster you're throwing at your party really is? Well, that's in there too. So users can subscribe only to the scene collections that they need, or they can subscribe to a hero membership that grants access to all scenes, as well as hundreds of early access scenes at a discount. Hero members also have access to the Describe Scene Request feature, which enables you to propose new scenes directly to the editors, such as RPGBot.net's request for Cure Wounds, but Spooky, <laughs> which became a dark casting of Cure Wounds. Let me try this one on you. The words emerge from your lips like a lurking spider, rasping and otherworldly. The voice is not your own, though you now command its power, an inky blackness. Somehow both liquid and vapor at once coalesces into your palms and writhes to the tips of your fingers. A chill comes over you and your hands become frigid, blue, numb, and corpse-like. You gesture, holding your hands over the injury and the inky tendrils set to work, worming their way into the wound and stitching it closed. Well, jeepers, that is creepy. Did I creep you out? Surely. It's a, a heck of a lot creepier than the talisman we tried to hawk. <laughs> yeah, it also uh, represents a far smaller threat of liquefying your friends. And one of the coolest parts about these box decks is they're not right there making sure you read all of it word for word. You can just use bits that you like or whatever. You can use them in your pre-written adventure. You can use them in your homebrew. You know what? You could even, if you wanted to, you could take credit for it in front of your players and not even tell them about Describe. It you could be your secret weapon, your secret <laughs> talisman. <laughs> but you can visit Describe.com slash hook. That's D-S-C-R-Y-B dot com slash hook and use code hook at checkout to save 10%. All right, then let's continue our travel adventure over to Kinship Camp. This is Kinship Camp, where rich histories and diverse quirks are explored between weary adventurers around the safety of the fire. All right, so for this kinship camp, we thought we needed some story prompts. And we needed them so that we could put this whole structure to a test and, and make sure that what we were saying wasn't total horse shit. <laughs> and we turned to our wonderful patrons for those exact prompts. And they fucked us. <laughs> we thought they might keep it simple and give us some prompts like, a ranger that's afraid of water. But no, they are all more creative and ingenious and intelligent than we are. We had concepts getting thrown around like paraphyletic descendant groups. It was, I was Googling shit. <laughs> it got out of hand. <laughs> so thanks again. I, uh, we give you a lot of crap, but thanks again uh, to our wonderful patrons. 
for keeping us surprised, energized, <laughs> and on our toes. And we got quite a few of them. So we're going to split this up. We're going to do one of these in this episode and one of these in the next episode. And we're going to take their prompts and examine them based on what we talked about in the last segment. So we'll try to expand upon these ideas and flesh them out. And what we did was we asked our patrons for a character flaw, an antagonist, and an environment. And we'll try to flesh this out into kind of what a travel adventure might look like with all three of those elements. So this one comes from Hey Dare Lila, who gave us the flaw of a rogue that's allergic to a variety of things and tends to sneeze at the worst of times. <laughs> cool. The antagonist, who's a wealthy devil responsible for overly expensive prices on antihistamines. <laughs> the mortal enemy of this rogue, obviously. Yep. They're the co-owner of a big fantasy pharmaceutical medical franchise. Those okay. bastards. <laughs> this is feeling a little too real. <laughs> Especially with my allergies. And the environment of an underground cave corrupted by fiendish magic and overrun by spouts of hellfire and imps. I dig it. So what's the goal? Well, I think it'd be kind of fun for the goal to be, let's get in there, steal the research so it can be spread throughout the land, not charged a buck and a leg for it. All right. So we've got a rogue attacking big pharma. Yeah. Fiendish pharma. What's your conflict then? Well, this specific thought doesn't really have a lot of personal growth to overcome necessarily because, I mean, allergies can't be willpowered through. I've tried every summer for my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I've so, seen it. It's messy. Yeah. And I don't think the wealthy devil would jump right into the ring with our heroes either. Like, that's not going to be the big scary antagonist. This is more of like the corporate devil that sits in his office. Yeah. So I think this fiendish devil cave is going to provide some fun conflict if we focus on environmental. Gotcha. It is about trying to get to B and kick the living shit out of our big pharma devil and steal his big pharma plans. Yeah. And that would make your story an environmental story. Absolutely. That means this hell cavern is going to push them to their limits. If we want to take real inspiration from that environmental conflict, then we're going to focus on making this place the challenge. Not NPCs that they come across. Like, they can still be there, but it's the place. Okay. So what scale would this be at? Well, it could, of course, always be a big campaign. But let's keep it simple. Let's say they're on this specific mission through the cave to heist out the recipe for the pharmaceuticals. Maybe it's near the end of a campaign, but before they have some massive final confrontation, I'd say it's pretty small scale. Yeah, I could see this as like a three-session kind of story. Yeah. And then what kind of scenes are you thinking? Like, if we're going to build some kind of scenes into this environment, what's percolating? Well, I'm sure you've got some ideas out there. I'm sure, Travis, things are starting to bubble to mind for you of mm -hmm. what you could do with a fun magic hell cavern. I mean, plenty. But if we start with them going into the cave, that's where we can begin to make this powerful. Okay. If, if you make the transition impactful, uncomfortable, and really set that tone, you're going to make this environmental conflict pop. So you're thinking like heat and some other stuff like that? Yeah. And like draw on the contrast between the place that they just came from and this place. So things like the air is damp, incredibly hot, 
It's like a sauna with fresh water on the coals where you can feel the heat on your skin intensifying every time you move. Ooh, maybe it's even thick with ash that coats your mouth every time you open it, which leaves a residue and a rotten taste. I feel like anybody that has even an ounce of good in them. I mean, obviously you'll let them cast certain spells, but you'll describe it as being harder because you are farther away from the place that magic comes from. Oh, yeah. Nothing good happens here, and you're trying to draw all of that energy away from where you came from, where those happy thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Especially if you got like clerics and paladins in the mix. Oh, hell yeah. And the climax has got to be great too. They've got to steal the formula in the end. And of course, it doesn't have to be like a normal filing cabinet that they finally find in an office. But it could. (laughs) I mean, that's funny. (laughs) If you're into that, yeah. That could be like the humorous anti-climax where it's like, well, there it is. There's the filing cabinet. That's what you do just before you you hit them with a big thing, like the (laughs) actual climax. True. Or of course, you could get really weird and turn that normal filing cabinet into some kind of devilish filing cabinet. Maybe what they're looking for is actually tattooed onto one of the weaker demons, like an imp or something. (laughs) They've got to find the imp and keep it safe, even though it's probably trying to gnaw at your head and viciously insulting you all along the way. That's an interesting idea. An imp that has been, has a filing cabinet in him. (laughs) Nasty. Any other ideas for environmental challenges along the way? You've got geysers of lava and all of that kind of stuff. But I I am liking where you're going. I think as they're going through this, you know, you got to throw in that ticking clock. So maybe they've got a magma eruption that's actually chasing them. You know, if you design this place vertically, the magma could be rising and falling like an unpredictable tide that the party is trying to stay ahead of. Yeah, that could be good. And again, because you're not focusing on any like deep demon NPC interactions you're running into down there. You could treat them like expendable pests that continue to gnaw away at the party's resources and sanity. Like they just take a quick blast to kill these things and to throw them into the lava, but you're you're using up what you got. And you could have that never-ending pursuit. You could call back to a little bit of the Revenant as the players really cannot stop. You know, they have to cross this very deadly place. Like in the Revenant, what if the bear never died? Yeah, And now you're wounded and you keep taking damage from these little things along the way. But there is an unstoppable force that keeps chasing you. Totally. And yeah, like you said, there's so many cool ideas of lava and and weird things that are happening. I mean, you could have a section of cave that consists of razor sharp fields of stalactites and stalagmites where fiends are trying to break them loose to impale people that are coming through. Yeah, you've got difficult terrain everywhere. Like, this could be really visceral. Yeah. All right, that's that's some fun stuff. Thank you, Hater Lava. That was great. (laughs) Moving on, our second submission. The ever-helpful and always ingenious Will gave me the flaw of a party that consists of time-displaced adventurers each with their individual flavors of a fish out of water. So you have a Neanderthal, a medieval knight, and a futuristic robot are all out of place in a steampunk fantasy industrial revolution. Incredible. First of all, holy shit, hats (laughs) off to you, Will, because this is elaborate. So (laughs) I had a lot to work with here, and also I felt a little intimidated by the 
complexity of what's going on here. So we got some time displaced adventurers and they're all from various areas. This is going to be wild. And what's your antagonist? So Will's antagonist was their future selves. Wait, what? (laughs) Wonderful timey-wimey stuff going on here. (laughs) Exactly. So their future selves are bitter and cynical about a world that rejected and ignored their heroism. So they've come back to punish the world and make sure that things are horrible enough for their heroism to matter. Okay, so oh, we got a deep. <laughs> we got a Neanderthal, a knight, and a robot that have allied in the future now come back and made the world a terrible place. Oh man. <laughs> and to round it off, the environment that Will provided was a world that is full of pockets of strange time displacement windows. So views to other times. So, for example, between two mountains on the horizon, the sky is dark where everywhere else it's daytime, and vice versa. Ancient ruins contain time bubbles where you can hear the ambient sounds of the past. And people take great care to avoid mirrors when not fully clothed, as they can often bear ghostly images of spectators from other epochs. Time perverts. (laughs) Yeah, I like that there was a little (laughs) bit of creepy time voyeurism. Mixed in there for good measure. So, the goal. I know that Will kind of set this up to be a little bit more like, this is just the world and this is how it is. Yeah. But that started the brain of thinking that this is a new experience. All of these time bubbles and time portals and time windows. And even the fact that our players are here, well, that means that maybe that could be reversed. So the goal is going to be just to stop the time displacement and set everything right again. Okay. So that's not really something you can just do by walking to a place, I'm assuming. No. This is definitely going to... I'm already starting to get a sense of this is the Mission Impossible style. Yeah. This is get somewhere, do something meaningful, go somewhere else. Yeah. So we're going to do some montages from here, there, and everywhere. And then, yeah, like you said... We're going to arrive, set something in motion, and then move on. So the conflict here, I'm thinking like cataclysmic consequences. And I would go huge. Like, you know, the the Justice League laser beam in the sky kind of big? Yeah. Like, that's the kind of scale. World-ending stuff. And they're going to see evidence of this conflict everywhere they go. They're going to be reminded that eventually the world will collapse in on itself if they don't set it right. Gotcha. This is a wild world and it keeps getting worse. That's almost their ticking clock. Yeah. Yeah. So they've got that ticking clock in there. The world is becoming unraveled. And this is where I really started to enjoy playing with this concept, which was the antagonists. They're the worst versions of themselves from the future. Right. So... All along, I can do a little bit of conflict with themselves, the players versus themselves, because if they've built their characters right, and this is going to take some DM coaching for sure, but they're fighting against becoming those people. So all along their adventures, I can put moral quandaries in front of them of, do you stop the time issues and just beeline it through your adventure, or do you stop to help the people, the little people, 
That's such a quandary that Will's set up here because if you stop to help, then you might end up leading to the thing that the bad yous want. Well, the world's going to end. Yeah. But if you charge forward, are you ever exercising the moral fortitude to understand and empathize and maybe you can address the future, this horrible dark fate by just learning to be better people? Yeah, you're developing the qualities to not become the people that you're fighting against. That's great. And we can play with those ideas about destiny and and how easy it's to go down a really terrible path. So the scale, again, like you already kind of summarized, is you're getting somewhere to start the goal. We're going to have lots of little scenes where they can affect the outcome of the story. So some of the scenes that I considered here and where it really started to get good, where it really clicked into place. I'm going to build some scenes where the heroes are finding holes into the future, and they have to identify where some of these holes are opening up. Because if we can hint that the villains got the technology to enact this plan from somewhere within a far future, well, Maybe that sends them jumping to the robot future. And maybe the robot even knows where this type of technology exists. Oh, we got to go to my timeline. Okay, nice. Now they got to crack open the time orb or something when they get there. <laughs> I mean, it's not all fleshed out. But the idea is that that character is going to be the leading hero of this small adventure within. Yeah. Well, and then we can jump back to the past to get the raw protoplasmic goo that fuels the time orb from the future. And now the caveman barbarian is the most familiar with this time. Yeah. And then we can even go to the recent past for the night to get some Da Vinci-esque genius that will be able to explain how to stop all of this or how to put it all together into one thing. Now, what got me really excited about this whole thing, what really kicked it off, and I was like, oh man, I might have to run this one day, is that no matter what, the villains win. Yeah, they're just trying to set up their own heroism, right? So if the players actually forestall the this horrible future and they figure out how to counteract it all, now they're heroes. Yeah. The villains got what they wanted. And then if they don't, then they still punish the world. And yeah. The best outcome I think I could hope for as a player is to be able to like, Create a new timeline where those villain yous didn't exist. Mmm. So you just gotta like what? Huck yourself into a volcano at the very beginning? <laughs> what? Not, I don't want you to not exist at all. <laughs> but you just want those good qualities that you're developing along the way to be the things that exist in your timeline. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Well, hopefully that was helpful. I, I Well, I'm going to run that adventure one of these days. <laughs> That's so bombastic and weird. I don't think I would have ever come up with that one myself. You're just going to be a cold thief. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just full on steal it. Sorry, Will. I'm going to plagiarize <laughs> your idea. Finally, the point of this podcast has come full circle. <laughs> We've got some adventure ideas. Turns out I was the villain the entire time. We went through all of this work so yeah, I could get yeah, yeah. this idea and steal it. Maybe you're my future evil self. I absolutely am. <laughs> I came before. It makes sense. Taking me down a dark path. It all makes sense now. <laughs> well, before we go, we wanted to return to the world of reviews. 
Uh, thank you very much, Tristan from YouTube, who commented and said, such an underrated channel. Keep it up, guys. Well, thanks. We will. Thanks, Tristan. Sounds yeah. like a deal. We ain't stopping. Can't stop, won't stop. Well, we got another comment on there from Shot that says, hidden gem of a and d channel here. <laughs> what a treat to hear those things. Yeah. Keep them coming. It keeps us going. It's fuel to the fire. Ego fire. Well, thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. You can also join an awesome community of players and DMs by hopping on our Discord. We would love to see you there. Thanks, thanks for, for listening, listening and, and I'm going to steal all games. of your best ideas. <laughs> you mind people. Keep them coming.